Welcome to the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm Chris Burke, joined by Dame Brugler and our producer, Kent Garrison. Uh, round one of the NFL draft in the books. Dane, I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty fun. I thought they did a pretty nice job producing it. I kind of enjoyed seeing everyone, uh, seeing the glimpses of everyone's homes. It was about as smooth as I think they could have hoped it would go. So I, I had a good time watching it. How'd you feel about the uh, different viewing experience this year? Yeah, I mean, we have to say huge congratulations to uh, all the people that went into making that happen. All the producers and yeah. uh, people behind the scenes uh, with ESPN, NFL Network, and and all that group. It's tremendous amount of work to get in front of any issues. And yeah, I thought it went off pretty well. And it, it made for a good TV experience. And it was just a lot of fun. And I think just with the from a pick standpoint, it was pretty surprising we didn't really have any trades uh early on none in the top 10 and that's what we talked about uh so much leading up you know with the lions pick a three uh what what to which team would trade up into the top 10 and uh you know all the talk about Tua, and he ends up going five so it's just a really fascinating first round that i think for the most part was chalk and then we got a few surprises later on but uh nonetheless i thought it was a it is a really well done first round yeah, I, I think just one more thing on the production and the broadcast. I think it's cool just to see we rarely see these guys uh, in like their the personal element. Uh, mm-hmm. It's always you know in the building and in the press conferences and always very official. So it's um, it was kind of neat to just see you know not to like peer into their houses or anything, but kind of neat to see them with their families right. and see the kids hanging around and just sort of the setups and. You know, kind of watching on Twitter, everyone reacting to what the back, you know, kind of judging the the backdrops everyone had. And it was, it was fun. And it was fun. That part of it was fun, too, just to have like, um, you know, I know the, the WNBA draft was a week ago. That's uh, obviously from viewership is a smaller scale thing. But it was fun to just to have another huge sporting event that everyone, you know, was watching at the same time and, and on Twitter at the same time. It, it certainly I mean, we've we've missed that for sure over the past you know five six weeks now. So that it was fun to have back for night, and obviously we got two more nights of it to come. Yeah, and it was kind of refreshing to see these guys with you know Joe Burrow just sitting there with his parents. You know, yeah. no <laughs> no entourage, no uh, you know big uh, you know amount of people around him. Uh, you know, his friends from the second grade. You know, everyone trying to get there to be part of the moment. It was just it, just, it was cool to see. These players with a small group of people, obviously, were practicing social distancing. So uh, it was it was very, very cool to see a very intimate uh, moment for those guys as they heard their name called and were drafted. And uh, to see that moment to be shared with their parents, pretty cool. So like you said, I guess the surprise was that there weren't any huge surprises. We kind of talked for a, a few months now that... You know, the draft sort of started at three with Detroit because we figured it was going to be Burrow, Chase Young, which it was. And I guess that argument still held because, you know, Detroit stayed there and took Okuda and then things got a little more interesting after that. But I think um, from Detroit's perspective, there was disappointment that they weren't able to trade down, especially since Miami and, and Los Angeles then took quarterbacks at five and six. You would have thought they might have been able to move out of that three spot and get some something from one of those teams to come up but um yeah we didn't get a trade until uh 13 and that was a one spot trade it was tampa bay moving up one one spot to get tristan worth so um how 
how off guard were you caught that it, 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 there wasn't more movement up top? And especially we talked about the quarterbacks were going to kind of dictate this. And then three of them went top six and we still didn't get any movement. So it was uh, for, I, I thought it was pretty surprising that there weren't more trades early. Yeah, for sure. And start at three. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't think the Lions are going to be asking for that much where it would have been a pretty, pretty easy trade to do. And if you're the Chargers, you must have been pretty convinced with Justin Herbert uh, not to make that move because you probably could have made that move for with a what a third rounder to get up to number three to, to draft Tua if you really wanted him. So they were either not convinced with the medicals or they really, really liked Justin Herbert. Uh, and so it was really interesting that that's how it worked out. And tank for Tua, that was the, the rallying cry since the summer. And lo and behold, that's how it worked out. And they, even though they had a little bit better season than most expected and they ended up with the fifth pick, they still get the, the quarterback. So, and then once we got to the, uh, you know, closer to 10, 7, 8, 9, 10, I thought that's where we'd see some movement. Um, you know, I know the Broncos made some calls because uh, they Jerry Judy was just such a perfect compliment to Cortland Sutton and that offense. And they they were a little worried he wasn't going to fall to them at 15. So they were making calls. Um, Atlanta, uh, they were making calls because they wanted that corner uh, going up to maybe get a C.J. Henderson. But I know they were comfortable with A.J. Terrell, who I've mentioned quite a bit as a guy that was going to go higher than uh, most people thought. Uh, but tr- surprising, we didn't see at least one trade in that, in that area. Uh, and then, uh, like you mentioned, the Bucks, uh, and don't, I don't blame them at all for making that move, even though they maybe didn't have to move up one spot. Uh, you know, just tried to eliminate any doubt. Uh, they need, they know they have a window right now to win. And so they got better on the offensive line. They help out Tom Brady. Uh, so I thought in the first half of the first round, no huge surprise. Maybe Henry Ruggs being the first receiver drafted a little bit of a surprise, but we knew they were going receiver. We just weren't sure which one. And when you think about it, uh, the Raiders are pretty familiar with Tyree Kill, having to play him twice a year. They saw their opportunity to get their own version of a Tyree Kill, and I think that was the main motivation behind that pick. So I thought the Browns, they got the best tackle in the draft. Uh, the the Jets yeah. uh, get their left tackle there. So, you know, really interesting top half of round one that – I don't think we saw really any surprises at that point. Well, just on the offensive tackles, because you said uh, you had Wills as your top guy. Wirfs was certainly highly thought of headed in. Mm-hmm. And like we said, the Bucks traded up for him. Uh, Beckton went 11 to the Jets. Did the Thomas pick? I mean, everyone sort of figured the Giants were going offensive tackle. Uh, it just seemed like that right. was all adding up uh, with Dave Gettleman making the call there and what they needed and sort of how the, they've been building. But were you surprised it was Andrew Thomas and not one of those other guys? No, just because I didn't have a great feeling for what the Giants were going to do, uh, except I, 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 I felt really good as going to be tackle. Just with looking at the makeup of that team and Dave Gettleman, it just, I, I would have been shocked if it was anything but a tackle. But really, we were just all guessing on which tackle it was going to be. And so not surprised it was Andrew Thomas. I think he's kind of viewed as – Maybe the safer of this group, uh, safer tackle because he's battle tested, three year starter in the SEC, played right tackle, played left tackle, um, and even though he was my fourth rated tackle out of the four, I still had a top fifteen grade on him. I mean, I think he's going to be a really, really good player in the NFL. So um, I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a bad pick by any means. Uh, I just preferred the other tackles, and that's what it comes down to is more of a preference than anything. Um, and I think if you're the Browns, I, I know that they were still getting those trade offers to move back, and I know they were uh, tempted to do it, but I think they absolutely made the right pick. Stay put, take Jedrick Wills, uh, and 
there's a little bit of projection there, like we talked about. You're moving him to left tackle. I don't think they're moving Conklin to left tackle. Probably going to keep him at the right side. You're going to move Wills to the left side, but I think he has all the talent to do it. So let's talk about this Justin Herbert pick by the Chargers for a minute because Tua to Miami, that's one we – I mean, whether it happened at five or at three, they they put up a bunch of smoke screens. They played this – uh, the way it played out, they they played it brilliantly because they stayed put. They still got their quarterback. They kept their other two first round picks and and added Austin Jackson uh, at uh, eighteen, and then um, that moved back later. But they uh, ended up with Noah Igbenogany at thirty, so they end up with three first round picks. They don't have to move out out of five. Um, that was one we've kind of been expecting. I don't know that Justin Herbert to the Chargers was a surprise. I mean, that certainly was a team that we thought would be looking quarterback too, and. Tua Herbert were right there, but um, what do you think about that fit now that it's happened and about sort of the future there with Tyrod Taylor kind of maybe as the bridge guy or maybe he immediately goes into the backup role? Just uh, what's your read on sort of what the uh, timeline will be there for Justin Herbert? Well, I think uh, hopefully they are, they're smart about it and they just leave it up to open competition going into training camp. You know, let the best man win. If uh, Justin Herbert's ready to start, then you start him. If he's not, then you've got a perfect bridge quarterback with Tyrod Taylor. I think that's – you don't predetermine playing time for rookie quarterbacks, in my opinion. I don't think that's the right way to do it. You let their play and their uh, their comfort in the system dictate uh, when they're going to get on the field. You don't rush them uh, if they're not ready. Uh, but you don't sit them if they are, uh, ready, ready to get on the field. So I think with the Chargers, uh, I, and I mentioned this earlier, how it's just, it was interesting. And we talked about it before. Would, would it be as simple as they would draft the, the quarterback that the Dolphins don't? Um, right. and, you know, we're, we're obviously they're going to say the right things and say, well, you know, Herbert was always our guy and, you know, it, it wasn't okay. Well, two is gone. So I guess we'll go Herbert. You know, they're not going to say that publicly. But it will be interesting to track these two quarterbacks moving forward uh, to see if the Dolphins pick the right guy and if the Chargers pick the right guy instead of maybe moving up. Because, like I said, it would have been, I think, relatively cheap to move up a few spots and still get uh, if they wanted to go Tua over uh, Herbert in that scenario. And then uh, just the way the rest of the top 10 played out, you know, Detroit, again, kind of was the pivot there once they took Okuda. Uh, it's definitely set things up for, you know, Derek Brown and Isaiah Simmons. I don't want to say they fell. I mean, seven, eight's not a, a huge fall, but certainly that uh, Isaiah Simmons landing spot in Arizona looks pretty interesting. I don't know that mm. that was one a lot of people necessarily pegged uh, heading into the draft. And um, it seems like, you know, that certainly felt like a, you know, best p- player available type of move by the Cardinals there. Um did did you like that pick for them? You think it makes sense? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I, I thought Brown. I really liked Brown and Simmons seven eight, and I went back and forth in my final mock about which order should go, and I of course picked the wrong one. Uh, <laughs> I went with uh, I went with Isaiah Simmons seven, Derek Brown eight. But when you look at it, I mean, Matt Rule wanting to build in the trenches, Derek Brown, a high character guy, it just it made too much sense for for Matt Rule there, and then. With the Cardinals, the only hangup was I mean they drafted a quote unquote hybrid linebacker in the first round a couple of years ago in Hassan Reddick, and that obviously hasn't worked out. Now I think Isaiah Simmons is a you know, much better talent, can do a lot more, uh, had the much better college career. So I'm not trying to compare the two. I just hope that the Cardinals don't screw up their new toy. You know, I just hope that they understand how to best use him and 
Um, and I, I, that, and I'm not trying to pick on the Cardinals. That would have been my concern, regardless of where Isaiah Simmons uh, landed. Sure. Yeah, I just want to make sure that they use him to his best ability. So, um, yeah, I, I think that was you know because there was a little bit of doubt about where Simmons would fall because not every team was on board with his style of play. But yeah, I think the Cardinals definitely got a good player. I tell you what, man, that Cardinals team. It's going to be pretty fun to watch. I don't know if they're going to be yeah. any good next year, but they're going to be pretty <laughs> fun to watch. Kyler, and now they got DeAndre Hopkins in there, and add Isaiah Simmons to that defense. There's a lot of uh, a lot of guys that are going to be pretty intriguing on, on Sundays there. So that'll that'll be fun to see how that plays out and to see how they use Simmons. I mean, I, I yeah. think that's – we. like you said, it was going to kind of boil down to which team felt most comfortable with him, and certainly there were some that didn't and, and couldn't really envision finding a, a – three down home for him so uh hopefully like you said cardinals uh use him in the correct way or use him in a way that works for him at the next level um so in the offensive tackle run uh kind of got going at 10 wills to the browns Beckton to the jets as we said the bucks traded up for for Werfs at 13 and then in the middle there at number 12 the raiders made uh it's kind of like a throwback Oakland Raiders pick. Uh, Al, Al Davis was Al loving Davis it. inspired Henry Ruggs, the first receiver off the board at twelve, and kind of the you know the way the receivers played out over the night was uh, we knew it was going to be interesting to watch. It certainly was interesting to watch. C.D. Lamb there at, at, all the way down at seventeen, and then you know into the twenties with Rager to Philadelphia, Justin Jefferson to Minnesota. Ayuk uh, to the 49ers, but Henry Ruggs, the first one off the board after all this talk about who it was going to be. Uh, so, so I guess it's kind of the same conversation that we had at offensive tackle where, you know, we've been saying there's this group of guys and whoever fell in love with one at the highest pick was going to be the first receiver off the board. And it was Ruggs to Las Vegas. So um, what was your initial reaction there? Yeah, and we talked about it with Lance uh, in our preview episode, how Ruggs being the first receiver off the board wouldn't be a surprise just because, and like you just said, it, it, similar with the tackles, comes down to preference. You can make a case for any of those receivers as being the first one drafted uh, because of the different element that they would bring. And with Ruggs, it's all about the speed. It's all about the explosive nature. And I mentioned earlier how Tyree Kill uh, in that division, uh, they see firsthand what a player like that can mean to an offense. And that's that's what Henry Ruggs has the potential to bring to the Raiders, uh, both down the field, uh, ho- uh, vertically, horizontally. Uh, he can stress out a defense by just being out there. Uh, even if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, you have to worry about him every single time. So don't blame uh, or don't uh, fault the, the Raiders for going with Ruggs there at that point. This is what... Back-to-back first rounds are going with a skill player from Alabama with Josh Jacobs last year, Henry Ruggs this year. And so they're, they're getting some firepower on offense, uh, no question. And I thought uh, Jerry Judy, one of the Broncos, perfect compliment to Cortland Sutton. You've got a Sutton, the big uh, physical athlete with the athletic ball skills. Uh, the perfect compliment is the uh, pristine route runner who can uncover at will with that start stop ability. So I, I know the Broncos were really considering trading up, uh, to, you know, at nine at 10 and they weren't able to get a deal done. And lo and behold, their Jerry Judy falls to them at 15 right in their laps. And then the Cowboys, like I said, had uh lamb at 17. And I, you know, at that point, it, it was almost like, okay, well, uh, is Dallas just going to pull the trigger here or is some other yeah. team going to come up and get him? Because, we're, we were at a point then where 
the value on C.D. Lamb just made so much sense for any team that wanted him. You certainly could have justified coming up, uh, you know, looking at those teams that ended up picking wide receivers, you know, the Eagles, Vikings, um, 49ers before the end of the round. Uh, that's a, th- that Dallas team, you know, that's one you know well from uh, your time down there. Um, I, I don't know that... Uh, maybe we didn't give Jerry Jones enough credit. There were a lot of people who didn't expect that pick to happen as it was happening. You know, he's not going to do this. There's no way he's going to take Ceedee Lamb here. And then he took him, and it it's it's a heck of a weapon to throw into that offense. Well, and yeah, and I've done a lot of Cowboys related stuff, and I I've been saying the entire time, Chase on is our guy because uh, that's who that that's who was on number one on their realistic board. They never even considered Lamb being available for them at 17. He was, I think this, our, our John Machoda had a good article this morning, uh, how he was their sixth rated player on their board, uh, someone they didn't even consider. Um, and it, I, Chase on, I, I think they were just crossing their fingers that he would get past Atlanta. Atlanta took AJ Terrell, who I kind of threw out there. I, I knew they liked him a lot. Uh, weren't sure if they would take him at 16, but that's what they do. And then you have the Cowboys who have to be thrilled because Chason is there. But then you look at it and CD Lamb's available too. And it's just, it, the value is, is too good to pass up there. And I, I give them credit because they st- stayed true to their board. They didn't go with the need like the Falcons did, going with the need at cornerback instead of going with the better player. The Cowboys do. And I tell you what, that top three receiver depth chart with Amari Cooper, uh, Michael Gallup <laughs> and uh, CD Lamb. That's that's got a chance to be pretty good. If you're Dak Prescott, let's uh, let's sign that contract and get you <laughs> get you ready to go. And I mean, because that's that's uh, that, you know with Zeke at running back and uh, you know the offensive line uh, they still have. I mean, that's that, that's got a chance to be a pretty explosive offense. Did you like the pick by Atlanta? I know you like you said you've been mentioning it as a possibility, right. but did did you like that fit or that value at sixteen? I didn't know. I, I had a second round grade on AJ Terrell. I, to me, I, I thought he's a good talent who is still learning how to what it means to play corner. And like he's six one, four four two athlete. I, I get why he went that early. Um, if if uh, Chase on and Lamb were not available, the Cowboys would have considered Terrell. I know that. Uh, the Raiders were considering uh, Terrell at 19. So it's not like the Falcons were the only team here. I think there's a very good chance Terrell would have been drafted somewhere else in the top 20 picks. Uh, but that one was, it wasn't a surprise because I think we saw it coming. But in terms of my own evaluations, just my personal opinion, that is a little bit of a reach for him at that point. Same ballpark for Damon Arnett at 19. That was shocking. <laughs> that was shocking. Um, and, and look, I, the biggest re- reason I think is a shock is because he's not, he, he's not a Mayock guy. And that was talking to teams about Arnett was really talented, but he's just not a guy, you know, character wise, there were question marks. Um, and he, he rubs some people the wrong way. I mean, he was off some draft boards because of the way he would rub them the wrong way. And Mike Mayock is all about the, you know, I want guys that are here to compete football. Uh, you know, football first guys, team first mentality guys. And Arnett, uh, while I think that he turned a corner as a senior at Ohio State, played much better, uh, took on more of a leadership role and, you know, it started to go in the right direction. I still think a lot of teams were, were questioning, uh, whether or not he could do that at the NFL. Um, and so he was off some draft boards and I know that the character concerns, and that's always tough from, 
you know, those of us on the outside, because as a talent, I thought he's a top 40 talent. I have no problem with him going uh, 19 based on his talent. But when you hear, when you talk to people in the NFL that you trust and you hear about the character concerns, that's where you drop them a little bit. And that's where, that's why I dropped them in my own personal rankings. And it, it's tough because you're, uh, you know, we'll find out in three years whether or not uh, that's something that derails his career or if he's able to, you know, you know, laugh at all of us in the end saying that, you know, it's the talent was better than any concerns off the field. Uh, but it was still a surprise to see him go off the board in the top 20 picks. That Ohio State cornerback pipeline uh, continues to just churn out those uh, those studs. Yeah, that's uh, it's been a pretty impressive run for the last. Uh, it's been a lot of years now uh, that Ohio State keeps sending guys up, and that, so Chase on then goes. You, 17 was where the Cowboys were. It seemed like a natural fit if Lamb hadn't been there. He goes 20 instead to Jacksonville, and Jacksonville walks out of day one with C.J. Henderson and Chase on. And for a team that's, you know, in kind of a rebuilding mode and certainly needed some more pieces on defense, that's a pretty impressive haul uh, to get the the draft rolling for Jacksonville because those are two guys that you would expect would be, you know, again, you probably let them come in and compete, but you would expect them to be playing pretty big roles uh, early on in their careers and, and maybe even starting right out of the gate. So to get both of them within the, you know, first 20 picks – uh, they've got to be feeling pretty good about how they ended night one. Yeah, no doubt. And remember last year, uh, Josh Allen in the first round wasn't supposed to be there uh, for for the Jaguars. And so just like uh, last year, Chase on another SEC pass rusher, wasn't supposed to be there for the Jaguars at pick 20. But he was, and with Yannick Ngakwe likely on his way out, uh, now they've got a, a pretty impressive duo, uh, bookend pass rushers with Josh Allen and uh, – uh, now a chase on that. That should be pretty fun to watch. And back into the wide receivers, Rager at 21 to Philadelphia, Justin Jefferson at 22 uh, to Minnesota. That was uh, Minnesota had two first round picks. They used the second one on Jeff Gladney, used this first one on Justin Jefferson. And there wasn't much of a, the, the way it played out, there wasn't much of a line between, you know, the, those maybe tier one receivers, which we were talking about Ruggs, Judy, Lamb, and then when the second wave of guys started coming, it was just you know four picks from Lamb to uh, to Rager. Um, and, and as we talked about this receiver class and its depth, it was it was that conversation we've been having even on this show now. Just the boards were going to be very different for every team because there weren't huge gaps between you know wide receiver four, wide receiver five, and wide receiver nine, nine, ten, even so. Uh, but Rager at 21 to Philadelphia, Jefferson 22 to Minnesota. Uh, what do you think of those fits there? I think they'll definitely be linked. Um, and you know, Eagles fans will uh, remember how how Jefferson plays out. And I think even I think a lot of Eagles fans were upset that they didn't make a move to go up and get Lamb once he started falling a little bit. Um, you know, not only to prevent the Cowboys from getting Lamb, but also to get just the one of the better receiver talents in this draft. But, you know, with Jalen Rager, he's an explosive guy before and after the catch. Uh, love how he can isolate and attack the football. Uh, you don't love the size. Uh, ha- we'll have some drops here and there. But there's a lot of uh, – he does have a little bit of bust potential, but he also has a lot of boom potential. And so I think that's – that's what the Eagles saw, and uh, interesting that they just kind of stayed put and uh, were comfortable taking him, uh, even with – and we'll never really know. I mean, maybe they called the Falcons and tried to get up for Lamb or 
Um, you know, it just, but it didn't work out. Uh, and so it's, it'll be interesting to track these guys, these receivers, uh, throughout their rookie years and then their, their NFL careers. Uh, CD Lamb and, uh, Rager both in the NFC East and then with Jefferson, uh, in the NFC as well. That it should be interesting. We still got, uh, 10 picks to get through here in the first round, but I wanted to mention real quick to go over to theathletic.com. Uh, we're still running our 90 day free trial. If you are not a subscriber yet, you can check us out for, three months uh for free or you can uh, get a deal right there um to sign up for just pay the subscription up front you can go to the athletic.com slash prospects to pros to do that as well get 40 percent off that gets you access to dane's draft guide the beast which uh is nice to have certainly in the run-up to the draft and on night one but as i've said before this is really where it becomes uh valuable for me especially i think is uh you know, day two and into day three, and then the undrafted free agent signings when you get to guys that maybe you don't know as well, and you can uh, just dip in there and get a pretty clear picture of what they're going to bring to the table. So uh, make sure you head over there, pick that up. Uh, we hope those of you who uh, have already added the subscription to get Dane's draft guide are enjoying the content. I'm sure you're enjoying the draft guide. So uh, you can still do that at theathletic.com uh, and go get that 90 day free trial. And so we can pick up at 23 here, which we, we said we didn't see a lot of trades early and then got a little more movement later on. And this was, um, you know, this was one of the spots. The Chargers coming up to making a pretty big leap uh, from 37 to go get Kenneth Murray. The Patriots picking up 37 and 71, uh, which is a second and third rounder. So Kenneth Murray set off a little linebacker run towards the tail end uh, of the first round here that that felt aggressive uh for the chargers but uh i guess if it pays if it works uh, you don't question it too much but do you think it's going to work yeah and that's it's tough because uh you know kenneth murray is always going to be compared to uh you know as the guy that they they gave up basically two starters to go get him that's how you view day two picks and um it's very aggressive but you go up to get good players and i I did, you know, I was a little surprised to see him go ahead of Patrick Queen, who I thought was a better linebacker. Um, but I, Murray is, you love the play speed, you love the competitive energy. I think that you're drafting him not only for what he brings on the field, but also off the field. I think he's going to be a leader in the locker room and uh, kind of a, a defensive, uh, you know, uh, leader for you. Um, and that's something that is a big selling point with Murray uh, with uh, with the Chargers. So. I get the move, um, you know, and the Patriots, of course, you know, very willing to move out of that spot and pick up uh, two more day two picks. So we're going to hear a lot more from the Patriots tonight. But, you know, I, I surprised to see the, you know, this is a team that was not aggressive at, in the top six picks. You know, they stayed put into Kerbert, but they were extremely aggressive here in the later portion of the round one. Uh, trading at both their day two picks to get back into round one to get the linebacker. So just interesting philosophy uh, from the Chargers here. Do you think the way the top 10 fell, uh, or I guess the top six with them getting Herbert, getting a QB without having to make a move, could have influenced them here if they were saying, all right, we can, if we need to move up for Herbert, we'll move up for Herbert. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, then we got to stay put beyond that. You know, I don't know that they would look at it like that. But do you think that the fact that they were able to just sit there and wait for the QB to fall in their lap might have given them, you know, a little more of a wiggle room right. to House make this money. move later on? Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And that's uh, possibly. And that's something that, um, you know, when you look at the Chargers, 
they've got a GM and a coaching staff that are not on the hot seat, but it's a pretty warm seat. And, you know, you are in an, an LA market where you need to make some, you know, create some buzz. And so, you know, they go quarterback, then they get aggressive to go up and get that, the guy, they can be the defensive leader. So understand the thinking behind what they did. So you said you were, um, Maybe a little surprised Kenneth Murray went in front of Patrick Queen. So what was your reaction then when Jordan Brooks went in front of Patrick Queen? Very surprised. And look, <laughs> we we heard the rumors uh, and, you know, his agent yeah. he guaranteed it, which, you know, he, he needs to be, you know, counting his lucky stars that, that it actually happened because that would have been a disaster if it didn't. But Jordan Brooks is a, he's a really talented player. I, I, it's just... It, there are some linebackers I liked over him, especially Patrick Queen in that scenario. But Brooks is a fun player. Love the range that he brings. I mean, he makes so many plays at the sideline. And some of those plays, he's late to see the play developing in the backfield. But he's able to unlock and go and just make plays. So uh, I, I like the Jordan Brooks pick. I don't love it. I thought it was a little bit early, especially ahead of Patrick Queen. But if you're the Ravens, Gosh, man, that's just a perfect yeah. fit for them uh, with Queen following them one spot later. Not the biggest guy, but so explosive, can cover. He's a three-down player. Um, Queen, and Queen's one of the youngest players in this draft, and he's getting better and better and better. So uh, I think if you're the Ravens, you have to love how the, the, the board played out for you. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those that the other teams in the AFC, the AFC North had to be sitting there like, you cannot let this guy fall to Baltimore. <laughs> like, this is just such right. a good fit for that defense. It's, I mean, he seems like uh, from both the playing style, the mentality, I mean, it all is very, felt very Ravens-esque. And so, you know, he's a guy that you almost just expect to go in there and make a big impact for a long time. And like you said, to get, to get that at 28, sort of have it just sort of fall like that for you is a pretty big stroke of luck in round one and uh that that one is that that felt like one of the better you know player team fits or more natural player team fits that happened all night um go back up a few yeah i said that one in 32 uh not to jump too far ahead but clyde over to lair that's uh not you know, I, I think there's there's three other really talented running backs who could have been the first off the board, but that Edwards Alaire uh pick by the Chiefs fit in that offense. Uh it's Brian Westbrook all over again for Andy Reid, and it's just uh, a very natural fit that had just yeah, sorry, uh the rest of the AFC West. That uh, good luck trying to stop that offense. Yeah, that's gonna be a uh popular fantasy pick. For, oh, yeah. especially in PPR leagues, I would imagine, get Clyde edwards O'Hare and uh, just pile up those receptions. Uh, but yeah, that one, man, that... What, that uh, let me ask you, what was, the, uh, what was the shock of the first round for you? Was it Arnett? Was it Jordan Brooks? Or was it what the Packers did? Or was it something else? No, it was... I, that's why we're kind of building up here uh, to the Packers. That, yeah. that one... Not only to make that pick, but to to go up and make that pick, just be, and not even because of the player. Like I think that was it was in that range where it felt, and we talked about the possibility that maybe a team would come up even from round two and go get a quarterback if one of those guys fell, just because you get uh, that fifth year option on the contract. You know, it's, it's a little better setup long term. I didn't think it was going to be Green Bay. I certainly didn't think they'd trade up for him. And now, you know, you kind of look at what the dynamics are going to be there moving forward. And I think everyone's a little curious to see how it's going to work out, how Aaron Rodgers is going to react. I mean, he 
was begging them to take a skill position player. And I, I guess they did technically, but not in the way that uh, he was hoping. So that was the one for me that just, it, there were some other ones. The Arnett one, I wasn't expecting, like you said, um, Cesar Ruiz was a little surprised for me at 24 to new Orleans. You know, there were some guys sprinkled in here that I, I thought went a little higher than they might, but that Jordan love one was the only one that really just completely blew me away when it happened. It's also kind of funny that, uh, his old coach, Mike McCarthy drafted CD lamb in Dallas, uh, after not drafting yeah, right. a receiver <laughs> in the first round all those years, that's, that's what Mike McCarthy does, uh, with another team. Yeah, and you know, I think it's interesting when you look at it. Uh, Brett Favre was 35 years old when the Packers drafted Aaron Rodgers in the first round of the 2005 draft. Aaron Rodgers is 36 right now. Um, obviously, Aaron Rodgers is the starter. They they still think he could be a. I mean, they went to the NFC Championship game last year. I mean, they they still think Aaron Rodgers can be, uh, you know, the guy that potentially leads them to uh, the playoffs and beyond, but. You know, to, to draft a Jordan Love here, you must think that Aaron Rodgers has at most three years left, maybe only two, or you're not drafting a quarterback here. So that really makes it interesting. Um, and things things are going to get rocky a little bit. And I think as long as Jordan Love can get past Rodgers, maybe, I, I, I don't know. I, Rodgers has a very prickly personality. Um and it'll be interesting because he was in this spot and him and Brett Favre didn't have the best relationship. Um, you know, that's obviously well known. How will Rogers treat this situation with love having been through it, having understanding the dynamic of a veteran quarterback and this new young guy who's supposed to take your job eventually. I it just, it's a fascinating dynamic that I just I I would love to be a fly on the wall for some of these quarterback meetings and some of these personal conversations that they're going to have because <laughs> I mean Aaron Rodgers is a smart guy he gets it this is the business this is how things work and just having been through this before but still he's like I said he he's got this a little bit different personality where this is going to be an extra chip on his shoulder that is going to make him compete even more yeah so there's kind of two sides to this for me and the one is. Just like you're talking about the, how this kind of plays out long term, because if you look at Rogers' contract, he's he's really got two years before it becomes even uh, financially feasible for the Packers to do anything. Um, so, it, 2022 is really where you start looking at it, and then 2023, it basically can come off the books without any problem. So, you kind of look ahead and wonder if he's going to be. We're going to have a, like a Tom Brady situation with Aaron Rodgers, you know, in two or three years where teams are lining up to try and get him for that last run that he wants to make. But from love's perspective, I mean, this is, if you take everything else out of the equation and just sort of look at the setup, this was kind of what we had talked about would be an ideal situation for him to go somewhere where he doesn't have to start right away. He can learn behind a guy who's, who's been through it, uh, has some time, you know, you can really ease it in. And again, now you've got him for, five years if you want him because you took him in round one so if it takes two years if it takes three years that's fine and it's probably going to take a little while to where he's at a point where he can be a starter so if you just wipe out all the personal aspect of this it makes a lot of sense um but the second thing here the like the flip side of this is like you said this was an nfc championship this was a team that was in the conference title game they don't have much of a window left here with aaron Rodgers. 
it's hard to argue that this is taking full advantage of the window. Obviously, you've got to plan for the future at some point, but if you're thinking you're going to be a Super Bowl contender again in 2020 and 2021, uh, you put an awful lot of pressure on yourself to find those pieces over the next two days of the draft because you just gave away uh, you know, a, a guy that probably would have stepped in and started for you at some other position. Right. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I think you just, you, you hit on it, how, how, how the different fascinating wrinkles to this uh, and what it means for the team moving forward. Um, you know, there's definitely a philosophy that you, uh, you, you shouldn't wait until you need a quarterback to draft one. Uh, you know, you draft one before you have that need. And that's obviously what the Packers are doing here. And hey, it worked out great last time they did it, and we'll have to see how it works out here. Uh, but definitely one of the biggest surprises of round one was the Packers moving up. And it's also kind of surprising to me that the uh, we did see a few trades later on, but we only saw one trade that involved day two picks, and that was the Chargers. Every other draft or every other trade uh, in the draft involved fourth rounders or later, uh, which just I think speaks to the willingness for teams to move back and then also teams reluctance to trade day two picks because they know how this draft stretches and the amount of talent that's still going to be available tonight in the second and third rounds. Yeah. And I think we probably will see a little run on trades at some point early on day two. It's been happening since the NFL went to this format where round one's one night and then rounds two and three are the next night because teams then have, you know, 18 hours to to sort of reset their boards and and start over on day two and you get it you don't have to make those trades in you know 10 minute windows you've got an entire day to go do it and so we've seen a lot of movement at the top of round two uh before so i think we probably will see that again um also saw i can't remember who tweeted out but someone made a pretty interesting point on twitter that i saw this morning which is uh we might see some teams try to stock up a few extra picks for next year because uh, it might be a pretty active supplemental draft coming up with how everything's playing. And we don't know what college football is going to look like. And right. uh, so the teams might want to have some 2021 pick stockpile. So I think we will probably see some movement uh, on day two. But you're right. Yeah, it was surprising not to see that um, happen throughout round one. Uh, and then, you know, obviously one of the trades that we did get was the Jordan Love one, which just kind of blew everyone away uh i brought up ruiz wanted to circle back on that a little bit because um i do think that that was maybe a little surprising that the saints went that Mm -hmm. direction but that's i mean that was a guy we talked about as maybe being a first round talent he looks like someone that can step in and start right away so uh was the value there for new orleans to take ruiz at 24 uh, yeah, I, I was surprised, especially when you consider Eric McCoy, how good he was as a rookie for the Saints uh, at center. And, uh, you know, with Ruiz, he has experience at guard. Uh, now, the Saints must view him as kind of an interchangeable guy where you could play him at any of the interior offensive line spots, which makes it a, a really interesting value pick there, I think, because this this interior offensive line class, tough to get excited about a lot of these names. Ruiz was one of the ones that was you, you could get excited about. One of the younger players in the draft, uh, big hands, he's strong. Uh, it's still kind of discovering how good he could be. The technique's not there yet, but he moves well. He's got pop in his hands. Uh, there's there's plenty to like about him. And, you know, you're making one final run with Drew Brees. And so adding offensive line depth, I think, is never a, a bad strategy. I like that Ayuk fit to San Francisco at 25 um, and then down towards the end you had Isaiah Wilson at 29 
Uh, the lat was the last offensive tackle taken in round one. There's still some pretty good offensive tackles for round two. We'll get into in a second here. And then Igmanogany, uh, 30 to Miami, Jeff Gladney, 31 to Minnesota. And then as we talked about, uh, Edwards Alaire to the chiefs, you have any favorite fits other than the Edwards Hilaire one, uh, down there towards the, you know, bottom third of the draft. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned Queen, obviously, with the Ravens. Um, Igbenogany to the Dolphins, I think, is a perfect fit for what Brian Flores is looking for. Um, Igbenogany moved from rec- from receiver to corner two years ago. And surprisingly, for a former receiver, this guy loves to compete. I mean, he is uh, in your face as a receiver uh, and, you know, is a really good athlete. And so he, he does a nice job staying attached. A uh, little surprised to see him off the board over some of these other corners that were still available. But, um, you know, I think Jalen Johnson, he's, he's dealing with a shoulder issue. Um, uh, Gladney went one pick later, which I think that was another good fit with the Vikings. Gladney, he's short, but he has decent length to him. And that's what, uh, I know coach Zimmer really likes the, he's got that bulldog mentality. Uh, he is ball production. So the, the two corners at 31 or 30 and 31, I think really fit what they like to do on defense there and just the mentality that they were looking for. So uh, th- I think those made a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Gladney. I, I like Johnson a lot, too. I think a team's going to get a really nice player in round two, uh, whoever takes him. Um, do you have a preference between Mike Zimmer's setup with the uh, animal heads hanging from the wall or Mike Vrabel's uh Whatever was happening behind Mike Vrabel. I was going to say, I, I was like, how are you going to describe this one? Because I don't know what was going on uh, with Mike Vrabel's uh, costume uh, party. I, I, yeah, I don't know what that was, but that was uh, certainly interesting. It was, it was pretty cool to see some of these guys, what they decided to do with their setup and how they uh, how, how they did things. Uh, it just, just such a fascinating, weird year. But I tell you what, that, that was a fun first round. Uh, that was... A lot of some surprises, but mostly smart picks, I thought. And that was the other thing is that not only was it fun for the viewer, but I thought that a lot of teams made smart picks, you know, like in the top 15, uh, you know, the the first, what, five or six picks going kind of how we thought it could go. And then, you know, the Browns not being uh, lured into a trade back scenario. They take the best player there. Um, you know, it's the, the receivers going off where they did. I, I think this was a very smart draft where teams – didn't overthink the scenarios that were presented. They just kind of went, and I don't know if that's a, a, a you know, a, 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 because of the way things are this year, because we didn't have, you know, because the month of March was so different than most draft process uh, in, in, in normal years. I don't know if it's because of that, uh, but it was definitely refreshing to get, I think, a lot of smart picks this year. Yeah, that was one of the things that stood out for me because we kept hearing, you know, uh, anonymous quotes or gms talking like that this was going to be a really different draft and that people Mm -hmm. didn't have a good feel for what it was going to look like and that you know we're going to see the teams vary pretty wildly from public opinion on this stuff and then you know there were some surprises if we as we've talked about but uh like you said i think the top 10 played out pretty close to form and there weren't any you know jordan brooks was a little surprised in round one maybe ruiz arnett but there weren't any massive way off the board surprises there weren't any huge trades in the top 15 that really threw things off kilter so uh, I thought it kind of came back and settled and so maybe you know maybe that does speak to the preparation I think teams probably got comfortable with what uh, 
what they were facing this year. And I, I think it, that was that was one of the things that jumped out for me, though. I was expecting this to just kind of go haywire from pick three on down. Uh, right. And it never really did until uh, maybe the Jordan Love pick. Like, it, it wasn't too off the wall until then. So, uh, But we'll see what happens on day two. Day three, still obviously a lot of moving parts here. You've got your uh, day uh, two uh, mock draft up, which covers rounds two and three. Obviously, you can still go check out, um, you know, the the best players available still too. The Beast has all those uh, things covered. You've got the top, the best players remaining out of your top three hundred entering day two. I don't know how you wrote as much as you did uh, out of day one. <laughs> it looks like you. Uh, I don't know if you slept. Did you sleep last night? Uh, yeah. That I I think I was half sleeping through my <laughs> second and third round mock. So, uh, yeah, it was. It was fun. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we can sleep when this is all over. We got plenty more picks to go through. And looking at day two, uh, there's some really good players still available. You look at these running backs that are still there. Uh, we didn't see a single safety off the board, which wasn't a huge surprise to me. I didn't have a first round graded safety this year. So not a huge surprise there, but this is where the sweet spot is for these safeties. We're going to see them fly off the boards with Xavier McKinney and Jeremy Chin, Grant Delpit, Antoine Winfield, all those guys. Um, and, uh, gross Matos falling to the second round, AJ Epinesa, some of these receivers with, uh, you know, Denzel Mims, uh, you know, there was some talk about maybe Cole Komet sneaking into the first round. Uh, he's still available, no tight ends in the first round. So a lot of interesting, uh, players here. And that's, I think that's one of my favorite parts of surprise names in the first round, guys like Jordan Brooks and Damon Arnett, guys like that is because of it's pushing other good players into that day two area uh, and a lot of quality, quality talent is going to be available. So it should be, like you said I, earlier about maybe some trades at the top, uh, you know, when teams have a chance to reset their board and see who's available, good chance we see a little bit of movement, but uh, you know, we're going to see some pretty talented players come off the board uh, quickly. And then into, even into day three. And I, one of the guys I'll be interested to watch or really position wise, and it's always about the quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts, where does he go? I, to me, Jalen Hurts is a borderline top 100 guy. I, I'm not very high on him, um, as I've made clear, but teams are enamored with him. So he could still sneak into that top 50. Where does Jake Fromm go? Where does Jacob Beeson go? Uh, so a lot of intrigue tonight with the, the day two getting started. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Hurts is a round two guy. I would be surprised if he's not gone before we're done Friday night. It just, like you said, it feels like there's enough positive momentum in his favor that would push right. him somewhere into those spots. And especially for teams that I think you've got him, uh, you've got him to Las Vegas at 80, which would be, uh, that might be one of the spots where he could push for a starting job kind of earlier on. But I think there are also some teams that maybe have uh, kind of the Aaron Rodgers setup where they might take him and, and sit him for a year or two. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities uh, for where those quarterbacks could fall. Um you know, Josh Jones fell out around one. Denzel Mims, I know those are a couple guys you have highlighted in your mock. Uh, and then, like you said, the running backs. I, I am really fascinated to see what happens with the running backs because uh, Edwards Alaire was the first one at 32, and you still got Taylor Dobbins, DeAndre Swift. It's a really, really good. I mean, these are running back one talents. These are guys who are going to be potentially leading the way for their teams as rookies. So. Uh, and the defensive line, I think, sets up pretty nicely, too. You know, I think there is a drop-off at those spots once you get a little deeper into this draft. But uh, just looking at, you mentioned Gross Matos, but Epinesa, 
uh, Blacklock, um, Marlon Davidson, I think is a really good player is probably going somewhere. Uh, you know, Uche, like there's a, there's some names there that are going to step in and be impact guys on the defensive front too. Yep. I agree. And it's, uh, you know, we're going to see those guys come off the boards. Uh, I think some of these pretty early. I mean, was there one guy that maybe surprised you more than others as being still available here, uh, as we go into round two? Um, I, I thought there might be, I thought one of the other running backs might sneak in. I actually thought that, especially once the wide receivers started going, I thought Denzel Mims was going to go somewhere. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. with just as we've talked him up through this process for the last couple months and the buzz that he had on him. And, uh, you've got him 38 to Carolina. I, I doubt he lasts very long on day two, but that was the one I thought, uh, might creep in there once those receivers started coming off the board. What about you? Do you have anyone that, your surprise is still there. I thought Gross Matos, uh, just because the position that he plays, um, I thought he would go somewhere in the first. Um, I really thought Ezra Cleveland was going to go go in there. I know, yeah. I know the Browns were considering him in a trade back scenario, so you know, and he doesn't even end up going uh, in the first round. So that's interesting. You know, I, I, a little surprised we didn't see one safety. Um, but like I said, I'm not too surprised because I I didn't think any warranted a first round pick. But a little surprised we didn't have at least one team uh, think that highly of one of these safeties. Uh, but still, yeah, it's. And I think again, it speaks to the talent that's available here on Friday night in rounds two and rounds three. So it's going to be another fun night, and let's come back tomorrow morning and and recap it all. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Uh, looking forward to the second day of the draft again. If you need to get over, get the athletic subscription. You can go to theathletic.com. Uh, slash prospects to pros for 40% off or uh, just head straight to the athletic.com and check out our 90 day free trial. Either one works. Uh, you, they, they both get you access to Dane's draft guide, the beast. Uh, you need a password as a subscriber to get into it, but uh, certainly worth uh, it's worth the subscription at full price, certainly worth the 40% off prescription through the prospects to pros site. And uh, if you want to swipe it for 90 days uh by all means <laughs> we'll take the uh subscribers through the free trial as well so and again we appreciate everyone who has signed up through draft season here we hope you're enjoying the content uh dane's got a bunch of stuff up just in the last few hours that you can go uh check out as we've been talking about the mock he's got his list of the best players still available headed into day two and his round one wrap up uh all up in the past few hours every team site's got new content uh, either breaking down picks or looking ahead into round two or both. So uh, spin over to your favorite team site and check that out too. And as Dane said, we will be back uh, tomorrow morning, Saturday, to recap rounds two and three of the NFL draft. So uh, for Dane Brugler and our producer, Kent Garrison, I'm Chris Burke. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.